Good morning. My name is Katherine Carter. I want to tell you about Jesus, who has changed my life. Sometimes in immediate ways, often, however, over time and in layers. His persistent pursuit, steadfastness, love, and forgiveness have drawn me near to him, helped me trust him, given me hope that filled a vast emptiness, healed many wounds, and grown my love for him. As I thought and prayed about what to say, God told me to share a very tender moment. When God spoke to me on a staff relief mission trip to an orphanage for children who had been removed from abusive and neglected environments. I'm going to read an excerpt from my journal from that last day of the trip. We went to the chapel and got to pray for the founder of the orphanage. It was amazing. God, thank you for pouring your love out on him. I felt so strongly when I saw him that he was a good father. I have never seen anyone reflect God the Father so powerfully. I thanked him for choosing to be a father to his biological children and to thousands of other children. I had a vision of him in armor, standing in the doorway, not allowing anyone to enter to hurt those children. I became oh, so overwhelmed with the need to cry that as soon as I could get away, I slipped out the side door of the chapel, sat on a rock, and bawled. I just ached so much, and I wasn't sure why. A friend happened out the side door to empty some water, and she said it was not by accident. She came and sat with me and hugged me. Another friend came out, and they prayed over me. I realized when I saw such a good father who protected that that is what I wanted from God so desperately throughout my life, to feel and to be protected. My dad is wonderful, and I am so thankful for him. But there are many things that he has not been able to protect me from in my life. I did not realize the shame and guilt I still carried uh, from what happened when I was young. You told me through my friend that I am completely free of that. I am completely pure. You took my place in those things, and I never have to be put back or put myself back in them. As we prayed, I saw an image of me sitting on the rock where I was, and you as mother on your knees in front of me. You kissed me all over my face and put your hands over my ears and said no more to lies I heard and believed. You said you were angry about all of the evil things that had happened to me and that you hurt and weep with me and for me. You said that you fought for me in ways that I have not seen. When I first saw you, I saw myself, and you said it is because I am made in your image. Thank you for a, such a sweet vision, God. I will cherish it forever. You said you were sorry it had taken so long for me to get to this point, but that it was a process. God, thank you for showing your love for me in such profound ways and for showing me not only how wonderful a father you are, but how tender a mother you are. So to close, breakthrough moments like this do not happen daily for me, uh, but often have much trial and prayer leading up to them. 
Before this moment, I had been praying about my worth, my identity, freedom, and understanding characteristics of God like father and mother. My prayers were not unanswered. Uh, They had a time and place to be revealed for a greater purpose. I want to share that Christ, who lives in us, brings freedom where there are chains, light where there is darkness, hope where there is despair, healing where there are wounds. The first step is to believe that God, he has died for our sins, for your sins. Suffering is promised in this life because we live in a fallen world. But Christ promises to be with us, to fight for us, to love us, to heal us, and to give us a life of hope despite suffering. Thank you. Good morning. If you've uh, got your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to open them up to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. We're going to do a lot of picking up where we left off. We're going to spend most of our time in John chapter 11, though we'll also read a little bit of John chapter 12. A lot of ground to cover. I want to thank Catherine um, for sharing your story with us and talking about those tender moments. It's hard to do. It's hard to do. It's hard to share what you've been through, but it's important because... Life is hard, and people have a tendency to think that if you know Jesus, everything's easy. There's a false gospel out there that says if you follow Jesus, you're doing it right, that you're going to be rich and healthy and never have any harm come your way. And what the world needs to hear is what happens to people like us because of Christ in the midst of hurt what God does with it, how God walks with us through it, the fact that he came to endure it for our sake. They need to hear the truth of the gospel. And that's why it's so important to share your stories. And guys, that's what we're doing, by the way, here in the book of John. I want to remind you why John wrote his gospel. Uh, It's right here in John chapter uh, 20, verse 31. He says, but these things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. And so his entire purpose of writing his gospel is so that people might hear these stories and that by hearing these stories, they might believe that Jesus is the Messiah and by believing in Jesus, they might be saved. And so we have said, uh, because that is his purpose and because the, uh, the New Testament calls us to do the same thing, to go and share our stories, Acts 1-8, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses, okay? We focus on that word witness, Word witness does not mean evangelist. It's not the same thing, okay? The Bible says that only a handful of people, only certain people are are equipped with the spiritual gift of evangelism. And so the church, sometimes we've mistaken these two. We've called everyone to evangelism, right? And we've forgotten to call them to personal witness, And so sometimes what happens is is we don't go out and share our story. We don't go out and witness. We don't go out, and by the way, a witness just stands on the stand before the watching world and says, hey, here's what I know. Here's what I've seen. This is what God has done for me. And so we have generations of Christians that think their goal, the calling of God upon their life is to memorize every scripture necessary to go through classes in evangelism training, and they have to go out and have to preach the gospel, which is great, friends. But it's overwhelming for many. 
And so what happens, we have this generation of silent Christians because they have mistaken the call of Acts 1-8. They think the call is to go out and preach to everyone. And the truth is, the best preaching the world can hear is you simply saying, this is what I have seen. I was blind, but now I see. I was lame, but now I I was hurt, but now I'm healed. And that is the best witness you can give to a watching world. Okay? So that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing here in the Gospel of John. Now, uh, last week, we, we, we had the second half of John chapter 9, the man that was born blind. And uh, Jacob did an awesome job there. This morning, we're going to pick up where he left off, and, uh, and we're going to see what happens from there. So join me in a word of prayer, and then we will jump into God's Word together. Father, thank you for loving us. God, thank you for your Word. We declare this morning that it is right, that it is good, and that it is what we need. Holy Spirit, we um, are grateful for your presence. We know what the Word of God says, that when two or more are gathered in Jesus' name, that by uh, you, by the Spirit of God, that Jesus is present with us. And so we give great thanks for that. Jesus, we pray that all that we do this morning would give you honor and praise. Holy Spirit, we recognize your role in this church. We We don't roll through it thinking that it's about us. That it, 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 it's about what we have to do or what we have to say. We recognize you indeed are the teacher of this church. And so, Holy Spirit, we, we just ask that you would come and you would take your place here in our church, in our midst, and that you would proclaim the word of God rightly, that we might hear it, that we might understand it, that we might effectually be changed by it, wanting to be more like Jesus than when we walked in this morning. We ask all these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. But guys, uh, I wasn't with you last week in the first service. I did show up for the second service just to worship and sit. And, uh, and it was nice. It was good to be off. Jacob did an awesome job of handling the second half of the story of the man that was born blind. You may remember the first half of that story. There's a great miracle that happens, and it happens on the Sabbath, and it causes all the religious people to kind of, and, and they, they want to disprove that this man was, was really born blind, and then suddenly he could see. And so they waste a lot of energy and time and effort calling him to witness, calling his parents to witness, all these kind of things. But in the end, they couldn't get past the, the genuine fact that this guy, was actually changed, right? You you can't argue with genuine change. Hear me, this is a theme in our story. This is why we're telling you to go out and share your story, to get comfortable sharing your story. This is why I'm telling you still, I've got a few spots open for you to come and do what Catherine just did, just to share your story. And it doesn't have to be here. I hope you share your story at HEB and at Walmart and at Tractor Supply. I want you to share your story everywhere that you go, right? Because that's what our world needs to hear. And so, so it's hard to argue with genuine change. And so Jesus, uh, two weeks ago, we talked about the miracle. Last week, Jacob talked about the message. Because often Jesus performs a miracle so that he can preach a message. And the message that he preaches, right, of course, is that I am the good shepherd. Right? There's a thief. He's real. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come. He might have life. Right? That's, that's who I am. I am the good shepherd. And I love my sheep. My sheep know me. They hear me. And so we're going to pick up where you left off, guys. I'm in John chapter 10, starting in verse 40. Then we're going to hop into John 11. We're going to read all of John 11. Then we're going to go John 12. We're going to read three verses there. Because we like to break every rule about how much scripture you should read in public. Okay? All right. Word of God is effective. Okay? It's what we need. So, Uh, Listen, here we are. Uh, John chapter 10, starting in verse 40, the word of God says this. It says, so he departed again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing earlier. 
And he remained there. Now many came to him and they said, John never did a sign, but everything John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. Now, a man was sick, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now, Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. That's kind, of, that's kind of foreshadowing, by the way. That's about to happen. We'll get there next week, I think. Okay? It says, and, and, and her brother Lazarus, who was sick. So the sisters sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So, when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after that, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. Now, Rabbi, the disciples told him, just now the Jews tried to stone you, and you're going there again? Well, aren't there 12 hours in a day? Jesus answered, if anyone walks during the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks during the night, he does stumble because the light is not in him. He said this, and then he told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm on my way to wake him up. Now, Then the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he's going to get well. Jesus, however, was speaking about his death, but they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and I am glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe, but let's go to him. Then Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too so that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and to Mary to comfort them about their brother. And as soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said to him, I I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus told her, no, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into the world. Having said this, She went back and she called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. As soon as Mary heard this, she got up quickly and she went to him. Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary, got up quickly, and went out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to cry there. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and she told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him? He asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Jesus wept. So, The Jews said, see how he loved him, but some of them said, well, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? And then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there's already a stench because he has been dead for four days. 
And Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone, and then Jesus raised his eyes, and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this so that they might believe that you have sent me. And after he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips, And with his face wrapped in cloth, Jesus said to them, Unwrap him and let him go. Therefore many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees uh, convened uh, the Sanhedrin. And they were saying, we are going, what are we going to do since this man is doing so many signs? If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and they will take away both our place and our nation. You want to know the driving force behind the persecution of Jesus? It's found in those verses. We are going to lose our power. Listen. One of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. You're not considering that it is to your advantage that one man should die for the people rather than a whole nation perish. Listen to this. He did not say this on his own, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. Now, I don't want you to get confused, friends. In America, we have this tendency to think, that that passage is talking about the physical nation of Israel. In Christ, the Bible teaches, we are the nation of Israel. It's about God's children. It's not about a physical place. It's not about a political structure. He's prophesying Jesus is going to die once and all for all of the people that will be called children of God. Follow me? You just need to see where we're going. I don't want you to miss it. You miss that. Why are we here? You follow me? You just got, you got to understand it. This is important in our theology. So from that day on, they plotted to kill him. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but he departed from there to the countryside near the wilderness to a town called uh, Ephraim, and he stayed there with his disciples. Now the Jewish Passover was near, and many went up to Jerusalem from the country to purify themselves before the Passover. They were looking for Jesus and asking one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think? He won't come to the festival, will he? The chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it so that they could arrest him. Now, skip with me to chapter 12, verse 9, and we'll just read through 11. It says, then a large crowd of the Jews learned that he was there, and they came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, the one he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests had decided to kill Lazarus also, because he was the reason many of the Jews were deserting them and believing in Jesus. This morning, I want to talk to you about the story of Lazarus and what we learn about God, what we learn about ourselves. I've got three things to share in about 20 minutes to do it. Okay? That's what happens when you read a chapter and a half of Scripture. It's good. Three things I want to share with you, big lessons. So I'm going to ask you, do your very best to pay attention. Okay? Here's the first big lesson we learned from the life of Lazarus. Okay? I want you to understand this morning that even when we don't understand God's timing, we can be assured that He loves us. Even when you don't understand God's timing, we can be assured that he loves us. So I'm in verse um, 3 of chapter 11. Verse 3 of chapter 11. I'm just going to read 3 through 6 one more time. Okay? 
3 through 6, one more time, and it, it says this. It says, so the sisters sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when Jesus heard it, uh, he said, the sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So, when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. I I don't know if you caught that, but I want to highlight it by putting it on the screen. So, here's what the text says, all right? It says, now, Jesus loved Martha, he loved Mary, he loved Lazarus, so... Okay, so here, 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 this is, this is the way the structure of that sentence goes. Because he loved them, it says, then he stayed. All right, the reason he stayed, the text says, is because he loves them. It says, he loves uh, Martha, he loves Mary, he loves Lazarus. So what does he do? Because he loves, he hears that the one that you love is dying. And because he loves them, he stays two more days and Lazarus dies. And that's loving. Okay, God does this, Jesus, God in the flesh, comes down, he does this, this thing, he, he, the, the people that he loves, what he chooses to do is wait. God waits. It says something is going to happen, it's going to bring glory to God, it, 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 it's going to blow your mind, it's for your good, okay, but I can't give it to you now on your timetable. For, for the glory of God to truly be revealed, you're going to have to wait and see what God can do. All right? Just want you to think through that. Now, now we don't receive that very well. Right? Just, I'm going to confess to you that I'm a sinner, probably the greatest in the room. I'm going to confess to you that I have the same attitude often of Martha and Mary and, well, the crowd. And so, so uh, I'll just walk you through. By the way, this isn't just for the benefit of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. As I read the text, I believe it's also for the disciples' benefit, therefore our benefit. And I, I get that from verse 15. And this is what it says. I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you might believe. Let's go. And so, so what Jesus is saying, hey, this isn't just for them. It's not just that I love them, okay? But rather, I also love you, and this is what you need, okay? So I I just want you to understand that this thing about God's timing, this thing about God showing up when he's ready, it's for our good, okay? This is something we need is what's about to happen in this this story, and we kind of got to come to grips with that, because what happens is, friends, we have our own timetable, Right? I don't know about you, this is the way that I operate. I kind of have my own timetable. I have things kind of figured out the way that I want them to go. And so when God doesn't show up on my timetable, I kind of act like this, all right? I want you to hear how Martha, Mary, and the crowd receives them. So let's walk through that. So first, Martha. Then Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. I just want to walk you through. Jesus is loving them. Right? Most loving thing he can do, according to the text, says he loved them, so he stayed two more days. So he shows up. Lazarus has been dead for four days. He shows up. He did it because he loves them. He walks into the people that he has loved. He has acted in the most loving way possible because God is love. Right? And so he's acted in the most loving way possible towards the people that he greatly loved. He shows up, and I want you to see how the people whom he has loved respond to his waiting. Martha says, man, why weren't you here? Why weren't you here? If you had been here, he wouldn't have died, Jesus. Right? That's her response. Now, now, what about Mary? 
So Mary shows him. Maybe, maybe she gets it differently. She's the one that likes to sit at Jesus' feet. Surely she knows the heart of God, right? What does Mary say? And then uh, it says Mary comes to where Jesus was, and she falls down at his feet. And what does she say? Lord, if you had been here, if you had just been here, then he wouldn't have died. Where were you? You, you, you promised that this is who you are. You promised that you'd show up in times of need. And yet I was in need and you didn't show up. Ever been there? Speaking to your spirit, aren't I, right now? Because we've all kind of resonate with this, right? And so then, then there's the crowd. Again, the, the disciples and the people around Jesus does this because he loves everyone. And, and so what do, what do they say? Here's what they say. And so the Jews said, see how he loved him. That's some of, listen to the rest of them. But some of them said, well, couldn't he who have opened the eyes of the blind man done something about this? Do you hear the disdain? Can, can, have you ever just tried to put yourself in the place of God and how he must feel with our wayward blaming nature? And so, so here's what I'm going to say to you. I'm just going to tell you where I am. This is what I've, I've, I've worked through. Listen, Jesus has to do this because he wants to prove something to them. They need to know something about him that they don't know. He needs to reveal to them who he really is because they haven't gotten it yet. He is the resurrection and the life. And, and what's going to happen here, he's lovingly waiting because they need to know this, right? Here's what I, I think all this means for me. I'm not preaching to you. I'm just going to preach to me. See, I don't know about you, but I'm uh, this guy. This guy right here is prone to questioning the love of God when God doesn't show up on my timetable. See, because I, I, I believe in the promises of God and life is hard and so I cling to those promises and, and often I find myself going, but God, you said, right? God, you said that you would never forsake me and yet I sure feel forsaken because, because I called to you, I cried to you, I asked you to meet me here in the middle of my mess, and I don't feel like you're here. I, I, don't, I don't see what, what's going on. I don't know what you're doing. I, I feel forgotten, God. That's, that's who I am, right? I'm guilty of putting God on my time table in my timeline, I have, a, I have a tendency like Martha, like Mary, like the crowd to blame him, to question his love. But here's what this story is teaching me. Ready? God knows me better than I know myself. Not just that, hear me. He loves me better than I love myself. And listen to me. Because he knows me, because he loves me, God knows that I need something bigger than what I'm asking for. God knows that I need something better than what I've asked for. God knows that I need something greater than what I've asked for. What I'm saying is I believe that God knows me so well that he knows that I am prone to forget him. And if God were to show up and just to do all the little things I asked for, and hear me, this is a big thing, right? I get it. But if God were always to show up on my timetable, God knows that I would forget who he really is. And more importantly, I would forget that I need him in my life. So, from time to time, he chooses not to show up on my timetable. From time to time, he, he chooses... Not to show up and to fix the problems that I face, but rather to draw me closer to himself. To show me who he really is, right? 
Sometimes God lets the things that I love, the things that I treasure more than him, wither and die. So that he can resurrect them. So that he can prove to me who he really is. The resurrection and the life. And friends, you may be thinking, well, this is about a dead man. What are we talking about? No, this is about all things that God lets die. Some of you here are on the brink of divorce. And God has allowed your marriage to just dwindle and dwindle and dwindle. And it feels like it is going to fall apart. And listen, what I'm here to tell you is maybe God's allowing that because you need to know who he really is. Because it almost needs to die before he brings it back to life. Maybe it's a dream you gave up long ago on. I can't tell you how many people I know that have dreamed to, to be parents. And it's not until they, they die to that dream. They say, we're, we're never going to be biological parents, right? You know what we're going to do? Let's, let's, let's be the best parents to kids that come from hard places. And they step into that gap that is so needed in our world. And they, they walk out the gospel and they adopt children from hard places. And they walk through them through difficulties in life. And then all of a sudden they're like, hey, I'm pregnant. Because God needed the dream to die before he could resurrect it so that he could get the glory for it. You following me? So here's what I'm telling you. This is what the story is teaching me. It doesn't have to teach you the same thing. Here's what the story of Lazarus teaches me, is that it's okay when God doesn't show up on my timetable because sometimes he's doing something bigger than what I'm asking for because he knows my wayward nature and he knows I'm prone to forget him. He knows that I treasure things above him. And so sometimes the Lord lets the thing that I love more than him wither and die so that he can bring it back to life and prove to me that he is all I need. You follow me? Now, I don't know about you, but for this wayward dude right here, I'm grateful for a God like that. For a God that shows up in huge ways because those ways remind me When life gets hard, I'm reminded, oh, look what God did. He took this thing that died in me and he brought it to life. And I get to cling to those big moments they help me remember in the tough times, okay? So that's the first thing I want to share with you guys. Even when we don't understand God's timing, we can be assured that he loves us. Jesus waited, the text says, because he loved. All right, second thing I want you to know, and this is a big deal. Because of Jesus, we can have hope in the face of certain death. Because of Jesus, we can have hope in the face of of certain death. And and there is uh, one thing appointed to all men unless the, the, the Lord returns. There's one absolute certainty, and that absolute certainty is death. We are all going to die physically unless the Lord returns, right? Now, now for some, that, that death is that death is sudden. Maybe you're in this room and you've experienced that. You lost a loved one like that, you didn't even get to say goodbye, and it hurts. For some, though, death is slow, and that hurts too. When you have to watch a loved one suffer, it's hard. And I want to tell you, it's hard, and it's okay to hurt, because you weren't created for it. We were not made for death. We were made in the image of God. We were made as eternal beings. We were made to live with God forever. And so we're not even equipped to deal with a thing called death, right? And so there's a reason that it hurts. And so we have an enemy who's real. And and, uh, Jacob talked about him last last week. And and so Satan is is, is labeled a thief. And he comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, John 10.10. And the greatest weapon in his arsenal is this thing called death. Right? And so what happened, uh, and by the way, you may say, why is this important to me? It's important to you because this is our story. 
right? Because we, we all suffer from this. And so back in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve are, are tempted by Satan himself and, and they sin, uh, at that moment when sin enters the world, so does death enter the world. God says, you can't be with me. You can't be around the tree of life anymore. I'm kicking you out. So no access to the tree of life. You're going to die. And so death enters the world. And this is important to us because the Bible says this is our, our story, all of us. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? All of us. We're all in the same boat. So you need to pay attention to this. This is your story, okay? And, and, and then it says in Romans 6, 23, which makes it worse, is, is when this happens, when we die apart from Christ, okay, the, the wage of that sin is death, is death. And it's not just physical death, though that's absolutely true, but when we die apart from God, we, we die forever, and, 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 and eternally we'll be separated from God. Now, we're eternal beings, so our, our, our spirit is going to live forever, and our spirit lives forever apart from God in a place called hell. And, and so what happened, I want, you, I want to recap this. So I want, what happened when Jesus chooses to stay two days after he hears the news that Lazarus is dying? What happens when he, when he walks into that town? Okay, what happens is he's going to put the glory of God on display because death, Satan's greatest tool, has just seemingly won the victory. Lazarus is dead. He's really dead. He's been dead for four days. In Jewish custom, that's a big deal. Day three, there was something that happened with the spirit and their belief. I'm just telling you, he's really dead. He's really done for. And so here is the family, and they're hurting because the one that they love is, is gone, right? The one that they love is, is gone. They're suffering a great loss. And in the midst of their suffering a great loss, I believe Satan is laughing because he thought that he had won again. And so when Jesus comes four days later, he does something so, so, so that Mary and that Martha and that Lazarus and that the crowd and that the disciples will know who he really is and what he really holds. And so he shows up and he says, Lazarus, come out. And, and then he says, take off the grave clothes. And he does all of this because he's proving, listen, it's not not just that there will be a resurrection, I am the resurrection. That's my name. That's my identity. And what Jesus is saying is, I am the resurrection. I am the life. And listen, I hold the keys to both life and death. Satan doesn't. You following me? Because listen, friends, I fear that the devil has convinced you that he's in charge and that he is the head honcho. I know a lot of Christians that live that way. Just in constant fear of the devil and his power. And hear me, he's strong, right? He is mighty, but his mightiness ain't got nothing against our God, right? And, and so I'm just, I'm just here to, so Jesus shows up and he proves a point here in John chapter 11. And the point that he proves in John chapter 11, it is not Satan, it is I that hold the keys to both life and death. And John's going to say this again in the book of Revelation. Revelation 1, 18, listen to what he proclaims. Uh, he says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man, and he laid his right hand on me. He said, don't be afraid, I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and and get this, I hold the keys to death and Hades, not Satan. I do. Listen, there's one certain thing we'll all face in this life. And that's if Jesus doesn't return, our mortal bodies will pass. And a lot of people are afraid of that. What Jesus does is he steps up to the plate in John chapter 11. He says, you don't need to be afraid. Mary, Martha, Deborah. Danny, you don't have to be afraid because Satan doesn't hold the keys anymore. 
I did. I did. You got it? It's a big deal. It's a big deal, right? We can have hope even in the face of certain death because Jesus is the resurrection and life. Last point I got to share with you. We got to wrap things up. <clears throat> we'll just skip three pages of notes. It's fine. <clears throat> got to fit things in, man. Early service. Last point, genuine change is attractive and dangerous. Genuine change is attractive and dangerous. And so I'm going to read from John chapter 12, 9 through 11. We read it earlier, but I want to read it again. It says, Then a large crowd of the Jews learned that he was there, and they came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, the one that he had raised from the dead. But the chief priest had decided to kill Lazarus also because he was the reason that many of the Jews were deserting them and believing in Jesus. And, and so I, I just want to tell you, genuine change is attractive and dangerous. So why would the religious leaders kill Lazarus is the question I ask. And the text says, well, because so many people were, were flocking, they were fleeing from Judaism, and they were becoming followers of Jesus because of Lazarus, because of his life. Which brings me to the question, well, well what was it about Lazarus that was attractive? You got to answer that question. Is what's now? So here's some things that are options. Now, now listen. The disciples, Jesus, and the disciples could have just been carrying around a corpse, right? It could have been faking it. This could have been weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> Lazarus. And look, there's Lazarus. <laughs> and he's and, and like it could have been the case, right? So uh, let me ask you: Do you think the crowds would come to Jesus if if Lazarus were still dead? If this was weekend at Bernie's, are the crowds really coming? And the answer, of course, is no, right? No, they're not coming. Well, maybe Lazarus was a mummy, right? Maybe, maybe he was there, and it was just a mummy. And he just mumbled and stuff. They're like, oh my gosh, look, there's a mummy. That kind of has like a little bit of a, of a draw to it. Oh my gosh, I want to see a mummy. And that, that works for about three days until somebody goes, that's not really Lazarus. They just dressed up John, right? That's not really Lazarus. We can't even see his face. That's not Lazarus. Like, like that, that, that would wear off is what I'm telling you. So, so it can't be that he's a mummy, Right? It, it, it can't be that, that he's just wrapped up in those linen cloths, those grave clothes. It can't be that. That's not what's attractive. What's attractive is that Lazarus was completely dead, that, that he was wrapped up in grave clothes, that all of those grave clothes have been removed, that he is no longer bound by those grave clothes, and, and now he is fully alive. And what the people see is a genuine change of circumstance, and they are attracted to Lazarus. Got a good friend that preaches this text, and I love it. He uses three Ds. He says, listen, you're either dead, disabled, or dangerous. So we're all dead in our sins, right, until Jesus calls us out of that grave, right? We sing that song every once in a while, and then I ran out of that grave, right? Okay, so you're either dead. So the second thing, though, is you're disabled. Sometimes Jesus calls us, he calls us to life. And do you remember it says Lazarus come out, and he comes out, and he's bound by all the grave cloths. Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And some of you this morning, God, I love you. You're alive in Christ, but you are bound by grave cloths, by the things of your old nature. You're still caught up in them. And so you're not running the race for Christ. And that's why you're not a light to the community. That's why you're not a light to the people around you. That's why people, people don't see Jesus. And unless you think that that's not important, listen, Genuine change is attractive in two ways. Number one, it's attractive to lost people. Believe it or not, the people without God in this world are, are desperately looking for God. They are. If you don't believe me, go ask them why they don't come to church. 
right? Go ask them why. Go, go find somebody that doesn't come to church. Say, hey, why, why don't you come to church? Here's the number one answer on their list. Ready? Because the church is full of a bunch of hypocrites. That's the number one answer. And what they're saying, this is them testifying, people without God testifying. They're saying, I don't see people who have been genuinely changed. That's what I'm looking for. I am looking for people that have been genuinely changed. And so Lazarus, he, he was dead, now he's alive. He's, he's not bound by the grave cloth. He's thrown those off. He's now running fully for God. They see a man, they see a genuinely changed man, they say, man, I want that. And so they're flocking to Jesus because of one genuinely changed life. Okay? So that, that's, the first, that's, a, that's the first way it's attractive. Here's the other way it's attractive. And this is the bad part of religion is religious people don't like it. People that are going through the motions, people that are checking off boxes, they don't like real life because real life reminds them that they ain't got it. And somebody shows up and they are passionate about Jesus and they're loving the Lord and they're falling at his feet and they're raising their hands and they're shouting and they're singing and they're dancing and, 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 and they're sitting on the floor at, at, at the master's feet and they're taking notes. And, and you know what it does to the rest of the people? They go, man, they love God. That's a little too much. You've got to tone it down there, brother. You've got to tone it down. And if you've ever said that to someone, hey, you just got to bring it down a few notches. You've got to be careful you got to be careful that you're not one of the religious crowd because eventually they plot to kill those people. Kick them out of church, John chapter 9 and 10. You follow me? All right. Genuine change is attractive. It's also dangerous. So here's what I'm going to tell you. This is what we got to do. we got to leave. Man. Sunday school will happen eventually. It's okay. First thing I want to challenge you to do is come out of the grave. If you are here and you have not received Jesus, you have not heard that call on your life, listen to me. He calls each of us by name. He's a good shepherd. He knows your name and he is calling you to life. He said, listen, it is not my intent that you lay in that tomb. Come out. I just want you to hear that is God's invitation for you as I speak. And so this morning, I just want you to answer that. And if you never believed in Jesus, today is the day of salvation, the text says, right? So the Bible, today is the day of salvation. And all you have to do is believe in Jesus. And when he says to you, hey, I will give you new life, Jason. You just say, I receive that, Lord. I'm, I'm coming out of the grave. I hear your call. I believe in you. And the Bible says you'll be slain, saved. And that, that, that's, the first, that's the first part. And so if you're, not here to, if you're here today and you, you've never done that, I want to encourage you to do that. Second thing I want to challenge you to do, many of you, I want you to throw off all the binds and disables. Okay? Some of you are not Lazarus yet. The world is not flocking to Jesus because of you yet. Okay? You, you have a desire in you. You kind of want, I want to be that light. I want to have an impact on others. Why can't I have an impact? Because you're a mummy. That's why. Because you're a mummy. The world doesn't even know that it's really you. They see somebody walking. They see somebody mumbling. But they're still wrapped up in all the ways of death. They're hindered. You follow me? And so, so what I'm saying to you this morning, if you're one of those people in your life, you've always wanted, I want to have an impact for God. I just don't know how. I'm going to ask you, what are you entangled in? And I'm not just talking about sin. I'm talking about the things of this world. I know a lot of Christians today that find themselves entangled in politics of the United States of America. You want to know what eternal value that has? 
Zero. Because it doesn't matter. Because you know where the gospel is growing the greatest right now? In countries with dictators. So don't talk to me about your religious freedom that is allowed to you. That's why I'm voting one way or the other. None of that matters. I, I want you to vote. I want you to vote your conscience. I want you to vote your beliefs. I'm, not, I'm just saying, like, you have to detach yourself from that when it comes to Christ. The kingdom is growing and bursting forth in Africa and China. That, that, the, the, the greatest movement of God to date, right now, is happening in Africa and in China. Right? Right? I mean, one of those is a country we call, oh, well, those are all third world countries. Well, the third world countries, the gospel's booming. Amen. So what's wrong with us? We're caught up, man. We are caught up in stuff. And I see all the arguing. I see all the fighting. And I'm telling you, the world is watching a bunch of Christians that are caught in grave clothes. And they're going, I don't want any part of that. That's not genuine change. I love you, but I got to call you to repent. Jesus Christ is Lord, nothing else. All right? Last thing, last thing. If you're willing to do all those things, man, go out and live dangerously. Okay, here, here's the deal. I just want to tell you, you're going to take some chinks in your armor. There are going to be some folks that don't like you. You're going to be in Sunday school class. Some are going to be talking about politics. You're going to say, listen, we're not here for politics. We're here to learn how to be more like Jesus so the watching world can see us. And they're going to look at you and shoot you this look. Oh. Dude, I, trust me. I, 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 I've said it enough. People are like in small rural town America looking at me like, I don't even think he's a Republican. That guy must be for abortion. No, no, man, I'm not. Tell you who I'm for. I'm for Jesus. Amen. I'm for his kingdom coming. I'm for Christians looking more like him than they do the electorate. That's what I'm for. I'm for being the light of the world that we're called to be. And the only way for that to happen is that we get our priorities straight. That we throw off the stuff that doesn't matter. We start living for the one who matters. And then the watching world will see. And they'll say something is different about those people there. I pray that's what God does in our midst. Join me in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word. I pray it is effectual. I pray that it brings about change, God. As we move into this time, uh, we take up tithes and offerings. I just pray you be glorified in our midst, God. Be glorified in our midst. You're our king. You're our provider. You always show up, even when it's not on our timetable. And we know that, we, that you love us, God. We know. We cling to that today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.